0: on the mountains i will bow my life to the one who sent me there in the valley i will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there when i'm walking through the
1: valley i know i am not alone you're god of the hills and valleys hills and valleys
0: god
2: of the hills and valleys and i am not alone it's so good to be here today it is just fantastic to um, be with you all and um, we really feel like this is home from home for us you know We've been here a few times now, and um, my wife and two of our three boys are all traveling with us, and we've just had so much fun, and you guys have been so incredibly hospitable towards us. We really don't even feel like we're out of town at all. It's just brilliant to be with you. It's so great to be a part of this great church. We love everything that God is doing here. We love your team, your staff, and everyone is just just incredible. So we are just having a blast, and it really is an absolute honor to be with you. Um, if I'm really honest, though, it's even more of an honor to be with you, uh, not only sharing the platform that really belongs to that of a doctor now. I mean, how cool is that? Um, but, but let me just say this. I, I just want to take a minute and just really big up your pastor, my friend Aaron, because um, here's the deal, right? When we first met, um, it's absolutely true that we were just starting. We were pioneering a church from scratch. and We didn't really know a great deal. We still don't know anything now but but honestly we, we had like we had nothing and we had no one now we have a little something but we 're definitely still no one. but when your pastor, when my friend started hanging out with us, it was at that point in our life and I always think that it's easier isn't it sometimes to kind of relate upwards to relate to people who have maybe got something that you want or maybe are at a place in life where you would one day want to be, but it's much harder to relate downwards sometimes and to befriend people who actually have nothing and no one, and that's exactly what your pastor did with my wife and I. So I just want to give great testament to his incredible character because not only is he a great man of God, but he's just a great personal friend to me as well. So can we just show our appreciation to your pastor, my friend Aaron? We love you, bud. So, hey, we are in week four of your current series, In the Valleys. And um, I've just loved being able to catch up on some of what you guys have been speaking about online. Isn't technology awesome? Uh, but it's an absolute privilege that I get to share the fourth installment with you now. You know, back home in Liverpool, we live in a 1901 built Victorian house and um, i don't know what your house is like but our house is pretty old in terms of its style and that is problematic for sure it's especially problematic because um, one of one of my most favorite things is diy said no man ever and um, (laughs) the thing is in our house is Whenever we kind of embark upon any kind of do-it-yourself task, it feels like the job starts out to be relatively small, but it always ends up being way bigger than you would ever have hoped, dreamt, or imagined of. It's just like you start doing one thing and think this is going to be so easy, and it just turns out to be an absolute nightmare. Well, that is the story of my entire life in our 1901-built Victorian house. So a couple of years ago... We were making arrangements to have the builders come in, the plasters come in, and we wanted like the ground floor and the stairwell, and it's over three floors. We wanted the whole thing um, skimming, plastering right. I-, I know you guys do the whole drywall thing, but we're still well and truly on with it with the wet trades. So we were about to go on holiday, so we'd arrange for these plasters to come in and kind of plaster um, the house. So the deal was If we were to strip the entire house of all the wallpaper, then they would come in whilst we were away, make all the mess and carnage whilst we weren't there, and get the whole thing done, ready for us returning. I thought that this was a great deal, bearing in mind as well that I have three sons, which does equal slave labor. So I put them all to work, and um, all four boys, we would, all of us, we would like be stripping wallpaper for what felt like weeks. And um, we had this one small section that had just not been taken care of the day before we were due to leave on holiday. And it was something in the back of my mind. I knew that it had to be done. So I woke everybody up early and we went down to the stairwell where this wallpaper needed stripping off from. And Have you ever noticed when you're stripping wallpaper? Um, It it can be kind of rewarding, especially if you start to peel something at the bottom and it feels to you like this could just run all the way up seamlessly without tearing all the way to the top of the wall. It's just like the most awesome feeling ever. Well, um, here's the thing, right? I thought I was onto a winner and I started to pick up this piece of wallpaper and I thought, this is going to go like all the way to the top. This will be awesome if this takes place. And uh, Of course, it didn't go like that because I started to pull back the wallpaper and then I realized that our 1901-built Victorian house uh, was in fact held together by the wallpaper. (laughs) And as I started to pull and peel back the wallpaper, all of the old lime plaster that's about that thick behind the wallpaper came crashing down on the entire stairwell and first floor landing of our house. So now we are like one day away from going on holiday, and our house looks like a building site. I mean, there is rubble everywhere. It was so bad, it got us right back to the brick. I mean, in some places that kind of looks cool, but in our house, that was not cool. So the reality was, is we're now like 24 hours away from um, being about to take a holiday, and now we're having to deal with all of this rubbish and this building waste that's literally in our stairs and all over our landings. There was a mess everywhere. And I've got to be honest with you, I was not expecting that. But hey, I've got three boys, and I thought that this is fixable, especially when you've got free slave labor in your house. So I was like, boys, grab some rubble bags, we're gonna like build 50 of them, and then we're gonna load them into the car, and we're just gonna to have to do multiple trips to what we call the tip, Uh, like your city dump and we're gonna offload all of this building waste. So um, it took us like forever and we were doing multiple runs to the tip to offload this rubbish. And on my very last run, I kind of pull on my driveway and I have one more run to to the dump that I've gotta go and do. And whilst I was in the house, Emma had pulled on the drive also and rather conveniently parked her car in such a position that meant that I couldn't back off the drive at all but this isn't a problem because I'm a guy and I can multitask. So what I did was we loaded up my car and when I got into my vehicle and attempted to drive off the driveway and realized that I wasn't quite gonna make it, I just jumped out of my car and got into Emma's car. And whilst I was sat in the driver's seat of Emma's car, I then saw my car come rolling back down the driveway with the door still wide open, wrapping around the front bonnet of the car whilst it was taking off the rear wing of Emma's car. So And I am like, "Are you serious? Is this the worst day?" ever it's like our house is a building site and i have now almost written off two cars that need towing to the garage i mean like this is just crazy uh, why is this happening to me this is insane and the truth is i was not expecting that about 2 years ago my wife had been the doctors just for some routine stuff and probably the craziest season of our life started on a monday and came to a pinnacle point on a Friday when we started to undergo multiple tests. We were in and out of hospital every single day, to the point at which we were sat down in the consultant's office on a Friday afternoon, and the consultant just says to us, you have cancer. And in that moment, seriously, it felt like somebody had taken our entire world and just tip the whole thing upside down. I'm thinking, we've got three boys. I'm thinking, the church is going well. I'm thinking, this should not be happening to us. I'm thinking, why is this even happening? I'm thinking, are we gonna get through this? Is this gonna be the end of us? How on earth are we gonna negotiate our way through this season of our life? And it was violently stressful and tension-filled, the most traumatic thing that we've ever been through. I mean, all praise be to God because my wife is fit, strong, and healthy today, but it came off the back of so many months of feeling like we were literally living at a hospital, going from ward to ward, the hematology ward for another chemotherapy session that has all kinds of consequences to you when you're going through it. It's just the most aggressive thing. Heartbreaking time, heartbreaking season. But, but that whole time felt to us like we were walking through the base of a valley. It felt at the time like destruction and ruin was upon us. And I've got to be honest, I was not expecting that. Didn't see it coming at all. You know, if you're anything like me, what we all like are the mountaintop moments of our life, right? We love it when you get the girl, you marry the guy. We love it when the job's going great, when the promotion comes in, when more money lands in the bank. We love those times and seasons when our children are doing well and are all healthy and a star in it in school. We love those mountaintop experiences, right? But we're all the same in as much as not one of us likes and enjoys those seasons where it feels like destruction and ruin is upon us as we walk through the valleys of life. Because the truth is, we all know what valley seasons are like. Maybe in different ways, but we all know what it's like to deal with stress and tension. We all know as well that during those valley seasons, it can feel like some things just aren't fixable. Some things arrive in our world, in our families, That just, there's nothing you can do. I mean, you can go left and you can go right, but it's not going to fix it. Some problems aren't always solvable. Some things, it's just kind of, it is what it is. And what are you supposed to do when you find yourself in one of those valleys? What are you supposed to do when destruction is upon you? What are you supposed to do? And we all know what this is like, right? What do you do when things don't work out in your career, when the job doesn't come off, when the contract isn't signed, when the deal isn't done in the way that you'd have hoped. And it's not really your fault, it's not their fault, it's not really anyone's fault, it just kind of is what it is, and there's nothing that you can do, and you've tried to figure it out, and you just can't, it just is what it is, and it feels like your life, in terms of your career path, is just rooted at the foot of a valley. I mean, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when maybe you feel like your life is in a valley with regards to a health condition? Maybe you've received a diagnosis, It might not be life-threatening, but maybe life-changing. And it might not be something that's going to kill you or take you out. But from this point on, it just feels like everything's changing. It feels like maybe you're going to have to be medicated. Your life is going to have to alter and change right now. And again, it's not anyone's fault. It's not your fault. But it just is what it is. And there's nothing that you can really do about it. For some of us, we know exactly what it's like to be in the valley of just relational distress and destruction. I mean, sure, you can be married, but it used to be awesome, it used to be great, but now it just feels like this is the worst thing ever. You don't get on, you don't speak, you're not able to communicate anymore, you're not able to agree on anything, and everything just feels abrasive relationally. And you're kinda like at a stage in life where you're thinking, well, I'm not gonna divorce him, and he's not gonna divorce me, but nevertheless, you just settle for the idea that it is what it is, nothing's gonna change, no good is ever gonna come out of this, and you feel like your life relationally it's just in this destructive valley. Maybe for those of us that are parents, right? Have you ever been in a valley with your kids where you can see that they're walking on a path in life that you know is going to be detrimental? You can see the choices that they're making and you're thinking, why are they doing that? You would never have made that choice, right? Right? And you try and talk to them, but they don't want to listen to you because, hey, you're their parent. And it doesn't matter what you say, they're not open to listening to anything that you've got to advise them on. And it just seems like all of the problems in their life just keep growing and growing and growing, as does their family, roughly every nine months. And it's just like, what is going on here? What about our finances? Some of us know what it's like to face financial ruin. To almost arrive at a place in life where you know that you're not going to make your goals. You're not going to meet your targets. And you look back and you think about your sales plans and your investments that you've made and your saving opportunities, but you look back now and you think that you should have done this, you should have done that, but now you're also faced with the tension and the dilemma of feeling like, well, there's just not enough time for me to be able to catch up now. I mean, there's nothing that you can do, it just is what it is. Things aren't going to work out financially in the way that you had hoped, and it just completely takes you by surprise. Now, there are some options, but they're just not good options. I mean, you can't really turn left, you can't really turn right. It just feels like nothing's going to ever get better. It can feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It can feel like no matter what you do, your life has landed in the foot of a valley, and it's just not going to change. So what are you going to do? I mean, sure, you can try and run, but that's not gonna work, right? Sure, you can try and drink yourself out of a problem, but we all know that's not gonna work. So what are you supposed to do when you find your life rooted at the foot of a valley that feels to you like destruction and ruin is fast coming upon you? Here's what I know too. One of the worst things about being in those valley seasons, especially when you're a follower of Jesus, right? It gets so difficult because not only have you got all of these external circumstances going on around you that are so challenging and painful and hard for you to negotiate, but now it starts to dramatically and detrimentally affect your faith. Because now all of a sudden, because you don't see there's any end in sight, you now start to question your faith. And you now start to look at everything that's going on around you. And you now start to say, well, does God even care? Does God even know what I'm dealing with? Does he know that I lay awake at night and I can't sleep? Does he know that my pillow is wet from the tears that roll down my face? Does God even care? And it's in these valley seasons, isn't it, right, where if we're honest, it's where we're most tempted to quit and walk away and give up on God. I think, though, one of the reasons why I absolutely love scripture is what you find in the Bible is so many people whose lives are recounted that you can kind of find yourself in. There are so many people's stories that are told that you can learn so much from. In fact, if we were to say, is there anybody that can be found in Scripture that's ever felt this same feeling of being in a valley where destruction and ruin is upon them, where something takes them by surprise, where something happens that they would voice about that thing, I was not expecting that then it would surely be the character of Job. His book is found in the Old Testament. But Job's interesting because Job had it going on so well. I mean, his life was pretty awesome. I mean, he's got a great wife. He's wealthy. He's got the business thing that's going incredibly strong. He's got seven sons, three daughters. Forget the Rolls Royce and the Bentley. This guy is so wealthy that he's got like 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. Which brings a whole new meaning to the question, what do you drive? Because Job will have been like, one of 3,000 camels. And they'd have been like, well, is that a one humper or a two humper? And he's like, I got the two humper, extra power, extra storage. You know, it's kind of like Job is the guy that everybody wants to be. He's got everything going on. And then one day, everything changed for Job. And it's in that story that I want us to jump to from Job 1, starting at verse 13, that I just want us to take a snapshot look into what actually happened to Job, and then what lessons can we learn from his life that might help us as we sometimes have to face these destructive valley seasons that we've all got going on. So let's go to Job 1, verse 13. It says this. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmlands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. When he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels. There goes his Porsche they've stolen your camels and killed your servants and i'm the only one who escaped to tell you while he was still speaking another messenger arrived with this news your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides the house collapsed and all your children are dead i am the only one who escaped to tell you i mean talk about the difference a day can make i mean In just the space of like an afternoon, Job lost everything that was important to him. Job lost everything that he valued. (laughs) And we think we're having a bad day when the coffee machine doesn't work, right? I mean, if you just contrast that to Job's life, you think this guy knows exactly what it's like to be rooted at the foot of the valley of destruction. I mean, things got so bad for Job In Job chapter 6, verse 1, it gives us great insight into how he was thinking and how he was feeling, and he says this, if my sadness could be weighed and my troubles be put on the scales, they would be heavier than the sands of the sea. I mean, Job was broken. Job was lost, completely confused, and he had no idea why this was happening to him. What's crazy, though, is when you start to read the book of Job, you you find him rooted at the foot of this valley where all this destruction and ruin is fast upon him. But then if you contrast that to the end of the book, you find like Job's life rooted high on the top of a mountain where it talks about how God has blessed him at the end of his life more so than he was blessed at the start of his life. I mean, Job ends up with more at the end than he even had at the beginning. But that kind of freaks me out because when I think about that, the question that I then ask is, well, how do you get from being in such a destructive valley to a mountaintop where God blesses you even more at the end of your life than you started out? I mean, how do you make that journey? How do you make that transition without losing your faith in God? How do you make that trip without blaming and cursing God? And I'm not going to be able to read it all out for you, but guys, seriously, I encourage you, go back and read the book of Job. I mean, even if you're not a, a Jesus follower in the room, it's still a fantastic book that you can read and learn so much from. But, but as I read the book, it's not as though Job didn't have a rough ride because he really did. And he did the same thing that you and I would do. We questioned, why is this happening, God? Are you serious, God? Do you know what I'm dealing with? I mean, God, well, have I not been good? Am I not righteous? Why why is all of this happening? And Job was probably doing the same thing that we would have done also, but it seems as though Job knew something that enabled him to successfully transition from this valley to the mountain. And it's these three super quick things that I just want to talk to you guys about today because I think that if we can just lean in for a moment and learn from Job's life, it really can help us handle the valleys that face us all in differing ways all the more. So the first thing that Job knew was this. Job knew that God knows. In Job 10 verse 12, in Job 10.10 it says this, You guided my conception and formed me in the womb. You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit my bones and sinews together. You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. It's almost like, that in the middle of all of Job's doubts, Job affirmed what he knew to be true about God. And what he was saying was this, okay God, even though I might be in the middle of having my why moments, like why is this happening? Why is this occurring? He understood that God was the maker and creator of everything seen and unseen. He understood that it was God that was the one that knit the very fabric of his life together. And that made Job realize that if that's who God is, then he must surely know what I'm going through today. You know, I think that's one of the things that we need to know too. No matter what valley maybe your life finds itself in today or maybe at some point in the future, one of the things we all want to know, right, is, well, does God know? Life, church, God knows exactly what you're dealing with. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you're walking through. I promise you, God knows. The second thing that I think that Job understood, and this comes through as you read the scriptures almost between chapter one and the very end of the book. And it's the same thing that the writer of Philippians talks about who was, of course, the Apostle Paul, where he talks about God's care. And I think that Job knew, secondly, that God not only knows, but God cares. He knew the same thing that Paul knew when Paul writes in Philippians four nineteen, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, I know that this can be a little frustrating, right? Because what we want God to really do, if we're honest, is we want God to supply all of our wants. But that's not actually who God is, and it's not how he works. But God does promise, not necessarily to give you that which you want, but he does promise to care for you and give you that which you need that which will sustain you, that which will give you exactly what you need to get you going through whatever challenges and difficulties you're facing. God is not only someone that knows what you're going through, but he cares deeply about what you're going through also. The third and final thing that Job knew, and it's recounted in Job chapter 42, it's this. Job understood, even in the midst of all his pain, That God can be trusted. He says this, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things that I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. It's almost like Job was saying, God, I'm sorry for the previous 40 chapters for just saying, why is this happening? It's almost like Job was coming to a realization of saying, God, actually, I am not the one that has the right to question you, but rather than question you, I'm going to choose to trust you. And I might not like what I'm going through, but I understand my life is held in the palm of your hand. Job knew that God could be trusted. Job knew that when life wasn't good... God still is. I want to introduce to you two two of my really good friends from our church at Liverpool One in England. They're called Josh and Bex. and I'm going to play you a short media piece that just recounts their story that they had to endure when they were on a valley season in their life. Um,
0: I remember it very clearly. I was at work, and, and Beck just called me up, and she was like, Josh... N- nothing to worry about, but I've just had an eye test, and and the opticians told me I need to go to hospital. I'm like, okay, um, you know, where, when do you need to go? Well, he said it's an emergency, so I should go straight away. So at that point, you know, just you're hearing emergency, your mind starts racing. So you're like, right, uh, I'm coming, coming over. Let's let's do this together. So,
1: um, so they did ECGs, they did bloods, they did. Um... Lung things with my lungs. It was it was it was strange. They just did everything they possibly could just to make sure they were ticking every box. All I kept saying was I'm fine. There's no issue. Now whether that was actually denial, I don't know. But at the time I did. I felt absolutely fine. So we went back to the room, um, waited around again because you know that, that's how it works. And sometime later, the, the on-call consultant came in.
0: Came in said right. We've, we've we've got some feedback. We think we know what it is. I said, oh, great. And she said, do you want to uh, take a seat? I was like, no, I'm fine, I'll, I'll stand, no problem. And they said, no, I, I think you need to take a seat and kind of at that point your heart sinks and, and you really realize that actually something, something serious is going on here. Um,
1: uh, I said, um, you've got a brain tumor. I think it must have been stunned silence because I'm not quiet very often Uh, and I just said, okay.
0: It wasn't small, they showed us the images afterwards. It it was, no joke, probably the size of my fist Um, and I guess just in shock really.
1: I guess being 27 and recently married and in a job that I was enjoying and in a church that I was loving and just everything was all new. It just seemed quite cruel that something that could stop that would just be there. And not just be there, but they said it it had been slow growing. They think it was there for a long time. Um, And so I just thought, wow, that's not expected and really cruel.
0: Um, So it it, it was tough and, and, you know, fear, started trying to creep in and, and, you know, you start getting these crazy thoughts about, you know, what would I do if she died? What what would I do if, you know, this is it? And part of me was really thinking, well, this isn't fair, God, you know. Um, Beck had just become a Christian. I would decided that, you know, I was gonna start living a Christian life again and put Jesus uh, at the center. And then we just got married and then three months in, we've got this and we were kind of like, well, this isn't fair. Why, why, God? Why are you doing this to us now? You know, is that just a joke that you just, you know, let us get married, get excited, you know, this new start together, and then you put this in front of us? It just didn't make sense, and it was it was very hard for me to get my my head around that. But uh, I think the thing that I really had to do was just trust God, rather than trying to find answers at the time. I just had to trust God.
1: Oh, it's almost like I was watching a film and. I was watching a film about this this young woman, happily married, beautiful, and uh, her world had just been shattered by some news that she wasn't expecting. That was like, whoa. Like I yes, yesterday I went and had my eyes tested and a couple of days later you're going to cut into my head. You know, it was it was it was quite a lot to take. Um, and again, like 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 watching a film, like seeing someone else go through it, it was just so strange. Um, I remember going down, um, I had to say bye to my mum, which was strange because I guess I was thinking, I'm believing I'm not gonna die, but what if it's different when I wake up? What if when I wake up from this operation, something's happened and I'm not me anymore? So it was strange, a really strange thing to go through, to, to wave to your mum and, and say, bye, see you in a couple of ha- hours. And it was, again, it was just weird. So we said bye and the door shut and it was all quite final, almost.
0: And at that point, you know, you get these crazy thoughts come in, but you're like, what if this is the last time I see my wife alive, you know? What if something happens on the on the operating table and and uh, kind of broke down with my mum? Kind of you know why 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 would God let this happen? Why would God let this happen? Let us get married. Why would why why would He take us so far and then take it all away? You know that's not a fair God. That's not a God that shows love. But (laughs) sorry.
1: The day after the operation, I was transferred onto the ward, um, and the consultant came and, and saw me, and he said, "We've removed it all. It's all gone. Um, it's not going to come back. Um, and no, re- no radiotherapy, no chemo. You know, you've, you've got to recover from a major operation, but you're good to go." Um, which was great, and I, was like, I knew that because I knew that, that I was being looked after. Um, But for me, I think, looking back on it, um, all things that happen, whether they're good, whether they're bad, they happen for a reason and they all come together for good. And for me, the goodness of having a craniotomy, having a brain tumor and having to have it removed um, was that my mum came to God from it.
0: Uh, All I can say is that God is such a good God and that he he saw us through that storm. You know, now, fast forward, um, Beck and I, we've got a beautiful family. We've got two kids, we've got Isaac and Hannah, who are just a joy, generally, 90% of the time. <laughs> and they're just so much fun. Um, you know, we both got stable jobs, and we both live in a, a lovely house, and we're planted in Liverpool One Church, which is, is such a home for us, such a family. Um, and, you know, Whilst we couldn't see what was going on, and at the time it felt like the outlook was going to be very bleak, you know, God was faithful, and through that, you know, He's blessed us, and we've just got um, more than we could ever want. And it, you know, it's just awesome. God's a good God, and He looks after us. And uh, whilst you can't see it at the time, you know, He's got the ending, he's, He's got it
1: sorted. If you have got no other option, He is there. And he wants to be there. He doesn't want to be the last option. Sometimes he is, but he is there. And and so for me, um, the fact that my mum came to God through that is enough. I'd go through it again.
2: You know, I think that what Josh and Bex found in their season of feeling like they're in this valley where it must have seemed to them like destruction and ruin was completely upon them, was that they found that the greatest miracle is not the avoidance of pain, but rather God's provision to get you through it. What they found was that as they walked through the valley, they felt like God walked with them. And that's what I hope that you guys would take out of this message today that you would understand that no matter where your life is found and rooted, whether it be for a season or longer than that, that you are not alone, that God is with you every step of the way. And you can't earn Him being alongside you, but rather that is His heart towards you. So I guess the question still remains, what do you do when you find that heartbreak hits your home what do you do when it feels to you like your world is just torn apart with chaos i mean what are you supposed to do if i'm honest i don't think and one of the things that we learned from our valley season i don't think and feel like often there's a lot that you can do i don't think it's what you do that gets you through it's not what you do that takes you out of the valley. It's not what you do that gives you strength. It's actually what you know. You see, during times of uncertainty where there is so much going on that you do not know, in those times, that's when you have to remind yourself of the good things of God that you do know. It's in those times that you tell you that God knows, that God cares, and God can be trusted. Because I think that we all have to realize and understand also that what Paul writes in Romans 8 is true for us today, where he talks about how all things, and that means the valley things too, the valley seasons, the bad things, that all things are worked together for the good, that's you for the good of those that love him so i want to say hey look live church we love you but wherever your life finds you let you know today that god knows god cares and god can be
1: trusted